The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, For those listeners who've been with us since the beginning, you might not realize this, but today is a particularly exciting day because it marks actually the one-year anniversary of our show. I feel like we should have like, um, I don't know, streamers or fireworks or something. Anyway, I do want to say a special thank you to all of you. Um, We so appreciate all of your questions and your feedback over this past year, and we hope you're going to stick around for our second year um, because we're planning to be here for at least that long and hopefully longer. Back to our show today. Uh, Right now, many of you are waiting on your final decisions, um, and you might be wondering, what can I be doing? What should I be doing? You might not be wondering, what should I not be doing? But um, there are some things you shouldn't be doing as well. And we're going to be talking about those uh, in a little bit later in the show. Um, We're also going to be talking about financial aid for transfer students. You, um, many people are not aware that that actually exists. It does. And we're going to be telling you uh, a little bit more about that, how to get it, all that good stuff. Um, But first, standing out in the college admissions process can be a really great thing. And in fact, my famous line I always say is, if you're not standing out, you're blending in and you don't really want to blend in in this process. However, if you are the parent and not the student, it's not a good idea to be the one standing out. Uh, And it seems fitting for me that on the one-year anniversary of our very first show, one of my very favorite people in admissions, Con Oxelson, who I was super lucky to work with during my time at Penn, is here to talk through what can happen when parents are more memorable than their students. Welcome, Con. Hi. Thanks, Beth. Absolutely. Super exciting to have you here. Um, and, you know, you and I connected uh, a couple of days ago just to kind of talk through, and we realized that we probably could do an hour, possibly two, on this very subject, um, because we both had so many different stories that we could share. Um, but I guess, let me start out by saying, kind of, what does it mean to you when the parent is more memorable than the student? Um, and... You know, we're going to talk a lot about why that's a bad thing. But just in general, when we were talking about things you could come on and, and discuss with our listeners, this was of particular importance to you, and I'm curious why. Yeah, you know, I, I think, what does it mean to be more memorable than your child? I guess I would say um, it, this, this college process for kids, it's actually it's a rite of passage, really. Um, it's kind of like that first job that you had or that, you know, learning to drive or asking someone to the prom. It's a, the first time it's a big deal, um, but it's a rite of passage. And for parents, it's important that through those different rites of passage that exist in, in our teenage lives, um, you support your son or daughter as best you can, but you can't actually do it for them. 
I mean, right. I shudder actually at the thought of uh, the girl that I wanted to ask to the senior prom. I can't imagine my mom actually calling that girl and saying, <laughs> hey, will you go to the prom with my son? Um, that would <laughs> yes. not be the impression that I would want to leave with that young lady. So um, that's, a, that's kind of a funny example, but, um, and, and no parent would actually do that. But the same is true in this process. It's, it's a rite of passage, it's a journey, and it's one that the student actually has to own. Right. And exactly. One of the one of the first things that came up when you and I were talking was this phrase that you hear in your office. And um, and I forgot to mention that uh, Khan is director of college counseling at Horace Mann, which is um, an excellent private school in the New York City area. And we did work together at Penn. So he has sort of that great experience on both sides of the desk. Um, and that phrase you used was, we are applying to Harvard, or we are applying to GW. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you hear that phrase, what do you think instantly? Well, I, I, I you know what, we, we try, we laugh about it a little bit in our office mm-hmm. here, because while we want to make sure that our, our parents are keeping the appropriate distance from the process or, you know, supporting in the appropriate ways, we understand on some level why they might use that phrase. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, this is one of the first times that a child or a teenager is going for something where the parents aren't actually intimately involved in every step of it. So, for example, here at, at the, the private school where I work, you can apply to be admitted to this school at several different points, uh, preschool and kindergarten, third and fifth and, and on up. And in those times when a child is applying to a school like this, um, their parents are intimately involved. They're very, mm-hmm. very much involved. In fact, the parents are actually writing a parent's statement and those types of things. So it is not uncommon for a family to arrive at the college process and the parents still using those same phrases that we are applying to this particular college. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I certainly understand it. Um, it's just that it's important that they think about what the appropriate boundaries are um, as they're going through this, because ultimately the admissions officers are not making decisions based on who the parents are. They're making decisions based on who that child is. Right, exactly. And so what are some things that you would recommend in in that first meeting with a counselor? And you probably have a few stories of things that parents did that you thought, oh, that's not good. And when the when the parent and student left, you really... Again, you remembered the parent much more than you remembered the student. What are some things to avoid doing in that meeting with a college counselor or the guidance counselor for the first time? Well, when a, when a, when a parent actually uses that phrase, we are applying, I always stop the parent and say, hey, I understand where you're coming from. Um, this is not the first time I've heard that phrase. Um, I understand that you feel very much invested in this. Um, certainly in, in, in terms of emotional investment and certainly mm-hmm. in terms of uh, a money investment for this college um, that's, that's looming in the future. But we want to think a little bit about the language that we're using. Um, and when you continually use the phrase, we are applying, it, it sends some not-so-good messages, um, certainly to the student, because I think sometimes the student thinks, well, maybe my parents don't believe in me. Um, or uh, maybe they don't have any faith in me or my ability to independently go through this process. Um, So we try to stop and have a conversation around that and uh, make sure that the student knows that the parent does actually believe that this kid can do it, can do this process really, really really well. Um, You know, it's funny, we do have different things that happen. It's not just that we are applying, but I'll sometimes get emails from parents uh, well, actually, it's, it's, the email is from the student 
but the mm-hmm. salutation in the email actually has my first name in it, and I know that students never use my first name, so automatically it's a tip-off that the parent actually is the one that sent me the email. Yep. Um, so I know that that's, that's not a good sign. Um, on, a, on a college tour, we hear about this a lot. Admissions officers will tell us that they see parents kind of dominating the campus tour. So the kid is on the tour, Mm-hmm. walking around the campus, but the parent is the one that's asking all the questions. And uh, sort of sheepishly, the student is kind of moving off to the side as their parent dominates the conversation. So we see that a lot, and we, we talk about that up front so that our families can have a plan when they go on these campus tours. Um, right. And the parent can realize, okay, I need to be aware of this, you know, the potential for me to kind of jump in and dominate. I need to be aware of that. Right, and I think that's good advice for our listeners to take away is maybe if there are some questions that you as a parent want to have asked, you can slip that question to your child. Now, I know there are listeners here saying, well, if I leave it up to my kid to ask questions, no, no questions will get asked. Um, any words of advice on what you do in that scenario or any, anything that you've seen be successful um, for those kids? Well, you know, sometimes we've asked um, parents, if we really think that there is a concern that the parent might dominate in that environment, we, we tell mm-hmm. the parent and the student, you can take separate campus tours. Yes, um, you can go idea. to the campus on the same day. You can, you can request a, a tour at the same time, but just go in different tour groups. So mm-hmm. the student doesn't feel like the parent is kind of looming over them, uh, prepared to jump in at every moment. That's one strategy that can work. Um, yep. And that, that actually works well. Our kids like that. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea. I um, this is on a different in a different case scenario, but I was working on a st- with a student once, and we were trying to think about what he could write his essay about, and his mom really insisted on being the room for that. And when she was there, he didn't speak at all. And when I was able to get her to go into the waiting room, he opened right up. So the next week when she came in and prepared to join for the call, I, I asked actually her son to leave, and I said to her. When you're here, he doesn't speak at all and doesn't mean I'm not willing to talk to you. We can have a separate meeting if we need to, but for the purposes of this part of the process, you probably need to be a separate part. You could share your ideas with me and I can share them with him. Um, So I like that idea of kind of splitting up the group so that each will get, you know, the parent in that situation can still ask questions. It's just the kid doesn't, you know, feel overshadowed. Same thing. Um, I'm glad you said that because the other part of that is, is the student kind of informing the parent of what's going on? Because sometimes parents get over-involved because they're not sure what's going on. The student hasn't said, hey, mom, dad, I met with my college counselor and here's what we discussed. We're, yep. you know, we've discussed this particular essay topic. I feel really comfortable about it. So for students, I would say if you keep your parents informed, they're less likely to kind of um, lay themselves over your process. Um, they mm-hmm. see that you can handle it and that you're asking the right questions and doing the right things and probably more willing to back off. That's right, and it's great advice because I know some of our listeners are students, and we're always telling parents what they should and shouldn't do, but as students... That's good advice for you, too, to keep your parents in the loop. Well, we promised some horror stories or some fun stories. Maybe horror stories is the wrong word. But um, there was one that you shared about a student who actually was, I think, waitlisted and went to visit campus with his or her parent. And um, and the end result with the parent being more memorable than the student was not good. Um, do you remember that story you were telling me about? I do. I do. And it's it's. 
you know, I, I have lots of cautionary tales, but when a family or a parent is still having a hard time wrapping their heads around what I'm talking about, this is the one I share because I think it's so poignant. And essentially, we had a student who was on the wait list at a particular college, uh, very excited about coming off that wait list, and asked me if he should visit that particular college. I said, mm-hmm. absolutely, it's a great idea. So the kid and his mom go to the college, um, and they try and have um, just a quick meeting with the admissions officer. The admissions officer invites them in. The mom proceeds to lay out the student's entire case for why uh, he should be admitted off the wait list. And, you know, the admissions officer was very polite, listened, okay, thank you, that's wonderful, turned to the kid, do you have any other questions? The kid basically sat there just stunned because right. mom had really dominated the entire conversation family comes home. A few weeks later, they find out he is not coming off the wait list. Now, it wasn't until maybe another month after that when I actually spoke with the admissions office, and I said, you know, this kid was imminently qualified. I thought this kid had a great chance of coming off the wait list. What happened? And in a moment of great honesty, which I really appreciated, the admissions officer said, this child's mother was much more memorable than him. And we were concerned that this kid would not be able to advocate for himself once he got to campus. We were also worried that it would just get worse once the kid was on campus, that the mom would really try and dominate it because she was out of that kid's daily life. And I just thought that was a really, really strong statement about why that doesn't work well uh, when parents kind of uh, lay themselves across the entire process that way. Right. And, you know, one of the things that you said to me was that um, that you say to a lot of parents is you kind of have to trust that you've you've done your best at this point. Now you've got to let it go and, and watch them put all the things you've taught them into action and kind of stand behind and support them while they do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no manual for raising kids. But, um, you know, I think our, our families sometimes forget or don't realize how independent, resilient, resourceful, and thoughtful their kids really are. And I want parents to have some faith that they've raised their kids in the right way. Um, they can actually do this if you give them the time and the space to actually do it. So um, parents out there, you just got to have some faith that you've done a good job raising your child. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, so... Uh, any other any advice that you would impart or, or other stories maybe that you could share that might be similarly cautionary to to get people thinking about ooh, you know I don't, it could be something to do with any part of their application um, essays conversations with admissions officers I know you've got a bunch it's kind of tricky just picking one but um, <laughs> I'd love to share them with our listeners yeah and that's that's important because when when I um, describe for my families here. You know, when I say we don't want you to be more memorable than your child, they all kind of laugh and giggle a little bit because they think, ah, you know, he's, he's talking about somebody else. He's not really talking about me. But this happens in this, this idea of, of actually being involved in the child's application process. It permeates the entire process. So another good example would be I've gotten essays um, where, you know, the kid and I have talked about the essay, the topic, and how they're going to treat that topic. And they've written a wonderful essay in the voice of, a student, a 17-year-old, and then the student will go home and talk to the parent, and maybe the parent will look at the essay and do a little editing, and they'll talk about it some more and some more editing, and the essay comes back to me, and it actually sounds like it was written by a 50-year-old woman, no longer a 17-year-old <laughs> male, and so it's really, and, and it's their subtle things, the way 
a parent might describe something is a little different than the way a kid would, the language mm-hmm. that a kid would use, the tone that a kid would use. And those are things that actually can be seen by admissions officers. Um, and I, I've had lots of admissions people say to me, boy, this just doesn't actually read the way we would have expected uh, from yep. this particular kid. Um, and so you, that's another example of how parents can maybe be a little bit too influential uh, in the process. Right. And when you start to see language crop up, that is language that they use in their own work, right? That's uh, right. that's never a good thing. No, no. It's, it's funny because I... I um, I, we have a lot of families here who are um, who work on Wall Street and in finance and that type of thing. And so some of the language that's in the essays can read as though it, it, it's almost like it was a financial prospectus or something like that. So it, <laughs> yep. it's the parent's work that's kind of seeping into the child's work. And that uh, it just doesn't read like a 17-year-old's essay should read. Right. And, you know, let's also take a step back and we're, you know, we're encouraging students. I mean, I'm sure your school has very strict policies around plagiarism and um, using others' work or cheating from others. And when you take your child's essay and you essentially rework it for them, it's now not really their own work. If, if you're inserting actual language and phrases and changing sentences, it's one thing to read and offer suggestions. It's another thing to go in there and change the language. Um, and really what you're subtly sending the message to your child is, A, that you can't do a good enough job on this, and B, that it's okay in this instance um, for me to redo your work for you. But hey, by the time you get to college, don't you have anybody else touching your work because it's got to be your work then. It's a real mixed message that you're sending to kids. Yeah, it, it is. There is a moral issue there when parents are over-involved in things like essay editing. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that happens is, is that that writing no longer matches or fits with the other pieces of the application. So you've got to remember, there are letters of recommendation that are being written by counselors and teachers. Um, there are supplemental essays that the student may have written. Um, and so when you have a parent who is altering the main college essay to the point where it doesn't fit with how that student is being described as a writer mm-hmm. or it doesn't fit with that student's other writing in the application, you've now raised a red flag that didn't need to be raised. Yep. It really is not helping. It's actually working against your child. Uh, so we, we talk about that and we give very specific examples of that. Uh, and then as a counselor, I try to sit and I help the student come up with a series of boundaries that will work in the relationship between that child and that parent. And it's a little different for each child and parent. It's not like it's the same set of boundaries. But we try to help that student, um, you know, we lend some support in their conversation with their parent. Um, and right. that, that seems to be helpful. That's awesome. So we have time for just one last thought. If there's anything else that you didn't mention today that you wanted to make sure parents were thinking about um, before we go. Well, it, it, this, when we were talking about this topic, it reminded me of one of my first jobs in high school mm-hmm. as, as a soccer referee. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm running around on the field. I'm refereeing youth soccer. And we would joke about this, that, that the parents are the ones that bring the water and the juice boxes and the sliced oranges, and they scream and they yell and they run up and down the sidelines and they go nuts, and it's great that they're that excited, but they can never, ever, ever run out onto the field. They know yep. that that is just totally inappropriate. And I think with this college process, the lines seem to be a little bit more blurred for families, and so they're not always sure what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. 
But we always ask the parents to to think of those other times when they were supportive of their kid and and um, kind of gave advice and a shoulder to cry on or someone to celebrate with, but they were not actually doing the work for the kid, uh, like right. asking a like asking someone out on a date or or learning how to drive, as we as we talked about at the beginning of this uh, segment. Right. You actually can't do those things for your child. And the same thing goes with this as well. So, Khan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you are very welcome. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Great. Well, after the break, we're going to be talking about financial aid for transfer students. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. My colleague, Michelle Clifton, who's a former financial aid officer at Babson, is here to talk financial aid and transfer students. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Beth. Hi. Well, I'm super excited to talk about this um, in particular because I know that for me, I wasn't even sure, you know, do they even really have financial aid for transfer students? How's that work? I think there's probably a lot of talk on the street or on the soccer fields about how, you know, you got to get that financial aid in in that first year or if you want to transfer, you might be out of luck. So I think this is a really great time to kind of talk through the realities of financial aid for transfers. And I think for me, the first question I really have is, is what's different about the process of applying for financial aid for transfers than for students who are going to enter as freshmen? Sure, yeah. So the timing can definitely be different. So the actual process to apply for need-based financial aid is the same. So students still need to file the FAFSA and then possibly the CSS profile if that college requires it. Um, but as I said, the timing is different. So applications are typically due in March or April for fall transfers or in October or November for spring transfers. So if a student has already submitted the FAFSA for the college that they're currently attending, they can add that new college, you know, submit a correction to add the new college um, 
to that same FAFSA. Got it. Um, but as always, in the financial aid process, meeting application deadlines is super important. So you definitely want to know when the deadline is. Right. And as far as the, the need-based funding that's available from colleges, this can vary. So some colleges award in the same way that they do for typical first-year students, um, you know, in generous ways. Other colleges may spend a significant portion of their funding earlier on in the process during those early decision, early action, and regular decision rounds, which means that they end up having limited or less funding for transfer students. So because of this, I, I do recommend that students have a couple different transfer options so that they can really compare their net price. Got it. Right. So it's not just, you know, as with anything, you may um, ha- you may have to submit a few different applications to make sure that you are going to have a college that you not only get into, but also that you can afford if transferring right. is an absolute for you. Okay. What about merit scholarships? Are those typically available for transfer students? Yeah. So this one's tricky. Some, school- some colleges don't offer merit scholarships to transfer students at all. Um, but then there are many that, that do, but they could be limited. So same situation, having a few options is really key to find the best financial fit. Right. And as with regular, it's tough to bank on a merit scholarship. Financial aid, you can do the calculator and kind of get a general sense. But with merit, you really have no idea because you just don't necessarily know what that school is going to be looking for in a given year. And that's what they use those merit scholarships for, right, to lure kids to campus and Tough to imagine if you're going to be that person, right? Okay. What about, um, so let's say you get in to your dream school, you're going to transfer in and you get your financial aid package and it isn't quite as good as you had hoped or um, you think that they didn't consider something. Is there an opportunity to negotiate or appeal with these the same way there is with the undergrad financial aid um, packages? Yeah, they absolutely can try to and they should. So they should appeal if there's a change in circumstances from the FAFSA or try to negotiate, especially if they happen to be receiving a better package somewhere else or even at the current college that they're attending. Um, But again, since the process happens later, it is quite possible that a college could have limited funding or maybe not any additional funding left. Um, Or if they only have a limited number of transfer spots and they may not be super receptive to appeals, um, but maybe in one given year, they actually are having a harder time filling their transfer spots, they could be more generous. So an applicant wouldn't really know the college's situation, so it's definitely worth asking for more funding just to make sure. Right, and for those who are curious, you know, we've done shows in the past about appealing a financial aid award or negotiating um, a stronger package. So I would strongly recommend take a look through the archives and listen to those shows. And we probably do something on that coming up because it is something that will be top of mind for lots of people. But you, you, there are many examples of not necessarily taking that first package as the final offer. Um, right, sometimes there can be more. Exactly. And they're never going to say to you, no, you can't have more. Oh, and by the way, because you even asked, now we're taking it all away. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's not going to happen, everybody. So don't worry about that. All right. But um, what I've heard that if a student transfers in as a sophomore or a junior, that they might actually be able to borrow more than if they just started as a freshman. Is that accurate in terms of student loans? Yeah, that's right. So a student who transfers in enough credits to be considered a sophomore at that new school, um, usually that's about 30 credits, 
then they can actually borrow 6500 in federal direct loan funds, um, which is 1000 more than the first year. Mm-hmm. And then someone who's junior level, usually about 60 credits, they can borrow up to 7500 in federal direct loan funds. Okay. All right. So then the answer is yes. I, you know, I do always caution when, you, when something starts with the phrase, I heard that 90% of the time what comes after is either a distorted version of the truth or completely inaccurate. But see, there you go. Maybe it's because I work in this industry that I heard something that was actually correct. Um, <laughs> what about, um, so I, I would say that most of the students who I work with, they have spent a fair amount of time thinking about where they want to go to college, um, applying to a good list of schools. They have a good reason why they want to be at each one of those schools, and they, ne- they don't go in planning to transfer. And I actually strongly encourage them not to go into transfer, but that doesn't mean that some students don't. Um, don't have that in mind. Maybe they know that they didn't really do what they should have done in high school to get to the school that they would like to be in. So they're taking kind of a two-pronged approach to college and they're going to do a couple years at one school and then with a stronger college record, hope to be a more competitive applicant to their dream school. Um, What kind of advice would you have for students who perhaps... um, you know, think that they may ultimately transfer at some point in their undergraduate career? Yeah, there's actually, uh, there are a few things that that come to mind. So it's important for a student to not only know how many credits that they're going to be transferring in, but how many credits they'll have left to complete and what that means as far as semesters left at Mm -hmm. that second school. Uh, For example, if at one school a student's applying to transfer to, they only need four semesters left to complete their degree. But at another, based on their curriculum, they'll probably need five or six semesters, then that could be a substantial difference in the out-of-pocket cost. Right. Um, so definitely something to, to find out, and, and schools will definitely work with you to, to go over that during the process. Um, a student who's receiving grant or scholarship funding should I would recommend that they check in with their financial aid counselor to see if they will be able to use a portion of those funds during a summer term. Because oftentimes transfer students can, you know, catch up in the summer or, you know, can allow them to graduate in a shorter period of time to try to keep those overall costs down. And then um, students should also know how much or ask how much, how many semesters the institutional funding is good for. Mm -hmm. So there could be a limit. You know, if if someone transfers as a sophomore, they may have a limited number of years or or semesters that the school will continue to fund with their own institutional funds. So they just want to make sure they're on the same page um, with the financial aid office so that there's no surprises down the road. Right. And then um, something else to consider would be um, housing, on-campus housing is not always available for transfer students. So, you know, they might be on their own to find off-campus housing or they may need to commute. So that's definitely something to consider uh, through that process. Right, because that could be then, a substantial cost or it could be less money if you're not living yeah, on campus. Yeah, it could be. It could be. You never know. <laughs> Very true. Uh, and then something else that it, this doesn't only apply to transfer students, but I always think it's important to emphasize um, that a student should find out if their need-based grant will be recalculated for any reason, such as 
the change in parent income or the change of the number of students in college. And if they're, um, if they're getting a merit scholarship, find out if that has a GPA requirement. So knowing this will hopefully avoid any surprises down the road. Got it. So, no, there's some really good points to keep in mind there, whether you know you're going to be transferring or you get an inkling soon into your college career that mm, transferring may be something I'm going to want to do here. Um, uh-huh. The last question I have for you, and this is one we get a lot, um, and that is the idea of enrolling in community college for two years and with plans to transfer to a four-year program and doing that not for academic reasons, um, but for financial reasons exclusively. So to try and and have a cheaper first two years um, so that the ultimate four-year degree costs less. What do you think about students um, following that path? Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't always think it's for everyone, but it can be a, a cheaper option. Mm-hmm. So before you're accounting for any financial aid, enrolling in a community college, transferring about 60 credits to a four-year program could certainly save a substantial amount of money. So, for example, if a community college is $6,000 a year for two years, and then in this case a student transfers to a high-cost private college with a $60,000 cost of attendance, just based on sticker price, that would save $108,000. Right. Uh, but, of course... Depending on the student, there could be more merit or need-based aid available for someone who applied to that same four-year program as a first-year student compared to as, an, as a transfer applicant, which is why it's best to kind of weigh all options and net price before deciding on a path. But I think in most or many cases, community college to a four-year will probably be the less pricey option, even with financial aid as a factor. Right. Um, but I think your point's a good one, which is, as as with, you know, we talk about this with public versus private, you can't automatically assume, right, that, well, automatically it's going to be cheaper if you do community college for two years and then transfer to a four-year institution because you just gave an example of where maybe not, you know, maybe you would right. get a really great merit scholarship. Um, and the same is true uh, and again, now we're getting away on off topic, but the same can be true with public versus private. It, you shouldn't assume that the private will always be more expensive because you might get a discount, you might get merit-based aid, you may end up paying less for that private institution than you would for your local public institution. So, um, sure, you can, yeah, there's lots of different factors. Exactly, exactly. And, the, you know, the only thing I would add from an admissions perspective um, uh, on the starting community college and transferring to a four-year, I think it really depends on which community college and which four-year you hope to transfer into. Um, and I think also it depends on the student, right? So some students will be fine with doing community college for two years. They are going to be just as invested in their coursework as they would be if they were at a four-year institution. But it's a different student body that you're going to be in school with, and they may not persist. And if they're not persisting and you're seeing that they're getting, you know, your child is watching them get jobs and make more money, they may start to say, well, gee, you know, maybe I don't need this degree and 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 not persist themselves. So there's so many other factors, I think, to consider um, when you think about that path. But I do think it could be a really, really excellent path. Um, any other advice, um, Michelle, for students who are thinking about going the transfer route when it comes to financial aid or paying for um, college in that taking that path? Yeah, I think mainly, you know, explore all options before making a decision. You know, 
there, there's lots of different options and make sure that they're, uh, you know, looking at them all. Um, and, and I think it's super important to, to make sure when transferring is a real um, possibility that a student knows how many credits they have left to complete and what that means as far as semesters. I think I've, in, in the past I've seen students that really weren't, wasn't, weren't sure of that right. um, and ended up taking longer than they anticipated and that could be pretty costly. Yeah, extraordinarily costly. Exactly. Sometimes by transferring, you actually set yourself back. Um, right. If yeah. All your, if, you know. Yeah. So if you don't, if you feel like you've put in two good years and then you transfer and discover that you now need to put in three more, um, that that is usually not good for anybody's pocketbook. So good right. advice. Exactly. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So next up, you are waiting for decisions. What should you be doing or not doing right now? We are going to be back soon with answers. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited about our next segment because... Uh, it's all anything parents want to ask me about right now. Um, <clears throat> but first, uh, my colleague and former Brandeis admissions officer, Julia Jones, is here. Hi, Julia. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to let our listeners in on a little secret, and that is that Julia and I are actually both um, work out of our Newton office when we come to an office. We I don't want to make you all jealous, but we frequently work from home. But we're here in the office today, so even though Julia could be anywhere and I could be anywhere, um, if she looked out her window, she could probably wave at me and I could wave at her. So um, <laughs> doing it right anyway. now. <laughs> exactly. It's a little it's a little weird to to think, but. There, she's right there. Anyway, um, I'm wasting time. So you're here to talk about something that 
it does feel like all my parents want to talk about right now. And and yeah, uh, and my students. Um, I shouldn't say it's just parents because it's definitely <laughs> students. So. Students have submitted their applications. Most of them submitted everything by um, December 30th, 31st. There are a few Mm -hmm. that hung on. They had deadlines in mid-January, but basically everything's in. And now they don't know what to do Mm -hmm. with themselves, so they're constantly saying, well, what should we be doing? Do we just wait? What do we do? So (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're here to talk about today. And I guess my first question um, to you is, Really, what what's your number one piece of advice to do during this kind of waiting period? Right. Well, I think it's true. I mean, waiting is, is the hardest part of, or one of the hardest parts of the process. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is for students, especially because they're seniors, there's a lot going on that's not academically oriented. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to fall into that senior slide. And, um, you know, even the best students can sometimes fall prey to that. And so I think my best piece of advice and the biggest and most important thing is to, to really stay focused. Um, you know, grades, believe it or not, grades do matter even second half of senior year. And so um, it's, it's really, you know, important to know that you've, you know, you've gotten through all the applications, you've done all the hard work and the heavy lifting. Um, but, you know, again, there's still academics to be done. And, and uh, um, you know, in some cases, AT exams to prepare for and just, you know, really making sure that you're staying on track. Um, because colleges expect that. Um, if you're accepted to schools, they, they are going to expect that you're continuing the same level of work that you showed them um, earlier in the year. Right. Now, and actually, to that end, I do have students um, who are asking me things like, well, you know, I've gotten into a couple of schools I really like. And so while I'm excited to hear from my regular decision schools, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not really loving this calculus class I'm in. Can I just mm-hmm. drop it? You know, what's your <laughs> advice around dropping yeah. or, or changing classes? Right. I, I think, you know, again, things happen, and sometimes there are very definite and valid reasons for, for needing to drop a course or wanting to drop a course. Um, but, again, remember, colleges are, are, you know, expecting that, you know, what they saw on your transcript. Um, and your mid-year grade reports um, is going to be the same thing that they're going to see in, um, you know, in the summer um, after they've admitted you. And, and in most cases, I think students don't often realize admissions are, you know, admissions decisions and letters are, are conditional based on the fact that you're, you know, again, you're, that, that performance is going to stay the same. Um, colleges do review uh, the final transcript. That was my lovely job for a few years when I worked at Brandeis was, you know, over the summer, um, reviewing all of the transcripts, the final transcripts that came in from our students and really checking to make sure that, that things stayed on track, that, you know, they hadn't, uh, you know, signed up for three AP courses and all of a sudden, you know, dropped them for, for, uh, you know, less challenging courses or that their grades didn't drop significantly. And, you know, if there were issues, um, we would reach out and contact students. And, and so, you know, I think that that's something you don't ever want to start your freshman year of college with, with that kind of a, uh, a mark on your record. Um, so, um, or even worse, have, have, you know, uh, more dire consequences too. So, right. Exactly. So, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, again, it's going to depend from school to school, but I usually, you know, for students, if they have that question of, you know, should I drop this class, um, you know, they obviously talk to your guidance counselor. Counselors can also be, you know, really um, good about understanding, you know, the ins and outs of it, but also sometimes it's, it's worth calling, you know, the admissions office of the school to find out, you know, is this, is this appropriate? I mean, in, in general, they, the expectation is going to be, yes, it, it's, you know, it, they're, they're going to want you whenever possible to keep that class. 
Right. I mean, I yeah. would de- regularly get questions about that, not from most students, but certainly from a handful of students every year would mm-hmm. call me up. And I would say if they didn't contact us for permission to do something, um, A, right. we might not have granted permission, period, but certainly um, we expected at the very, very base level that we would be notified of any plans to make a change. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, the consequences, if you weren't, if you didn't get permission to do that could be, you know, extreme. And um, when we say extreme, rescinding offers now, it'd have to be pretty bad to rescind an offer, but it does happen. And there are students who go so far overboard with dropping classes and doing poorly in their classes that it does happen. So I think that's, and you know, and and even, I mean, a less extreme, but as I said, you know, we would uh, a lot of times, you sometimes will ask for an explanation of the, of the, um, you know, what was dropped or, or the drop in grades, but sometimes, you know, in the cases, uh, different cases, you know, you, you would have to enter your freshman year and start on on academic probation. Not Mm -hmm. the best way you want to start your college career. So you definitely, um, you know, yeah. So, so yeah. it's, you know, again, that's probably the biggest thing. And the most important thing is not the, um, you know, most exciting thing in the world to, to, to be doing at this time of year. But if nothing else, it takes the distraction or gives you a distraction from, from waiting for, you know, for those decisions to come in. Exactly. Throw yourself into your studies. That's good advice. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you had some good advice about things that you want to make sure are happening, right? Because, right. Um, you know, we just had a, um, a segment on financial aid for transfer applicants, but Michelle shared a very important um, sort of piece of wisdom that applies whether you're a transfer or you're just applying regular. And that is, if you are applying for financial aid, hit that deadline. There is, um, you know, that it is, can be devastating to miss the financial aid deadline because you may not get equal consideration if you don't hit that deadline. What other um, things do students need to be doing at this time of of year um, to make sure their applications are complete? Sure. Well, I do think it's, if they haven't already, um, you know, they need to make sure that everything that they that has been sent, that they sent, but also that has been sent on their behalf is there, is complete. Most mm-hmm. time colleges will let students know if things are missing, but it's probably a good idea, again, especially if it's not been done yet, to just, you know, one, one last check. Usually many colleges now give you a portal or a place where you can, you know, check the status of your application just to make sure that they've got everything they need. Um, the one last piece that, that um, needs to be sent that probably hasn't yet or is about to be is um, a student's mid-year grade report. Um, you know, that's the semester grades um, that are usually coming out right about now. Um, and so you know, many guidance counselors, you know, know that and, and do that automatically, but don't count on that. Make sure that's like the one final step that, you know, and, and most or many colleges really do want to see that. And that's, you know, they often, you know, will make some tentative decisions, but wait to see what those mid-year grade reports look like just to really make sure that things are still still going as they should be um, mm-hmm. or as, as they have been. So, right. yeah, so I definitely and, uh, think that's one piece uh, to, to really make sure you do. Yeah, and I mean, I know at Penn when we were considering, because we didn't actually go to committee usually until mid-February, and sometimes students went to committee even later, we wanted those mid-year grades. We were taking a look at those. We expected those to be in the application um, because we wanted to know how the student was doing in senior year. So agreed, super important to um, get those pieces in. You also had a really great piece of advice that I... I, um, 
I'm not sure that I've really spent a lot of time giving this advice to families, but I'm going to start. I'm stealing your idea. Um, and that is to really, to, you know, you had some advice about visiting schools mm-hmm. at this time of year. Sure. I think, you know, obviously, it, it, you know, for many students, they've applied to some schools early action. So they, you know, likely will have, you know, a couple of acceptances. Um, they may not be their top choice, um, but, um, you know, but there are schools that maybe they visited back, you know, a year ago or last summer or even early last fall. Um, and, you know, it, it's a good time and it's another thing that you can do to, to feel like you're being proactive um, to go and visit that college, you know, take that February vacation um, and do kind of a second visit, a visit now that you're accepted, it's a very different tone. You want to really, you know, uh, maybe talk to a professor or sit in on the class or even, you know, see if you could stay overnight. And it's a great thing to do. Um, you're going to obviously, you may do that for your regular admissions decisions. But remember, those don't come out until the end of March, early April. And you have to make a decision by May 1st. So this gives you more time. I find so many students are frantic in April because they're trying to visit and research and and make those final choices. And if you leave all of your visits to that month, it makes for a really crazy month. So this is a way to kind of get a few, you know, a few of those schools, again, just to sort of get a second look. And sometimes you see things in a different light when you've been accepted. And so that can really help to, you know, kind of jumpstart your research a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, I'm laughing that I haven't given this advice because just last year, my husband and stepson went to see a couple of his early action acceptance schools right at this time of year while he was waiting to hear from his regular decision schools. And he ultimately actually accepted the offer from one of his early action schools. Not he didn't he waited until after he heard from all the other schools, but there there probably wouldn't have been no way for him to visit all of those schools that he was admitted to um, during April just just because he had a lot of other things going on, not because he had so many schools to visit. Um, and yeah. uh, and go, going up early really helped him g- take a longer, closer look um, at some schools that maybe he hadn't given as strong consideration. So that is really, truly excellent advice. Um, Thanks. One, you know, one thing that I get a lot of questions about at this time of year is, should I be should I be emailing all of my admissions officers? Should I be updating them on, you know, what's going on? And I guess that's really kind of a two-part thing. So the mm-hmm. first part is um, about just emailing your admissions officers in general. And then the second part is what about an update, um, submitting something after the fact? So what's your, what are your thoughts on the emailing admissions officer piece? I, I think it, it obviously depends a little bit on the school, um, you know, and, and – uh, I mean, bear in mind that admissions officers, this is their kind of crunch time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so they are, you know, in the midst of, I mean, I know for me and I know for you too in admissions, um, you know, January, February, March, uh, you know, it was, it was crazy, um, you know, and all mm-hmm. I was doing was reading applications, you know, pretty morning till night. So, um, I, I, you know, having um, having that extra email or contact is not necessarily something that was, uh, you know, on my radar screen, and I really didn't need it. Um, so I, I think that it's, you know, for some schools, it's probably, it may not be necessary. For others, though, I mean, it is, it is okay. It can be an interesting way to let them know that you're interested, obviously interest. And I know you've talked about this before on the show a lot, um, you know, that some schools are pay attention to students who show that dem- make that demonstrated interest. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, especially if it's a school that you haven't visited or that you haven't had the opportunity to, to do that, a quick email um, could be a good way to, to really show them. Yeah. I'm, I'm still very interested. It's not just that I threw an application at you. I'm, I'm really, you know, I really am interested in it. 
I would actually suggest, you know, kind of combining that with your, the second part of your question, which is about mm-hmm. updating. Um, right. You know, if you're going to do an email to, to an admissions officer, if it has a purpose beyond just a check-in, that's always, you know, so even if you can update them, hey, I made, you know, we made championships and we made, you know, um, we did mm-hmm. something, something, you know, that, that's updated from your activities or something new that you can talk about or even, you know, that your grades are even better this term, something that will give them, you know, kind of a reason to send that email. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that I think can be a little bit more useful. Um, and it allows, and it also then serves the purpose of getting that that new information into your file. Right. And and I think, you know, again, not all students are going to have an update. Uh, right. I, I think hopefully the takeaway here that you heard Julia loud and clear is that this is going to differ from school to school. And that um, if you don't have something specific necessarily to say, and it isn't a school that's really tracking your demonstrated interest, then no, you really don't have to find a reason to email and, right. you know, you're not going to form a relationship with a guidance, with a, an admissions officer in, you know, the span of an email. Um, <laughs> most students aren't going to be able to form in a relationship with that person, even if they meet them more than once. So you, you kind of have to be realistic about what you can really accomplish with that. Your, your application needs to be as good as it can be. And then you kind of just have to wait, <laughs> let them read it yeah. and hope they make a good decision, Right. Exactly. And I think that's the hard part, but it is really, you know, if you've done, you've done everything you can do, you sort of take a deep breath, realize, you know what, it's um, as, as hard as it is to admit this, it's out of my hands. I've done everything I can do. I put my best foot forward in my application and, you know, and, and then I think they step back and focus on senior year um, yep. and focus on, you know, on, on the fun stuff in senior year and also, but again, keeping sight of that, the fact that, you know, you can really continuing, continuing the good work that, that you've been doing over the course of, of the year. Exactly. And that is really what this time is about. So, Julia, thank you so much. I appreciate all of that insight that you shared with us today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank Julia and all of my guests today. And I want to share a few important things before we wrap up our one-year anniversary show. Woohoo! Imagine streamers coming down and fireworks going off. Okay. We are now on Pinterest Um, I discovered Pinterest about a year and a half ago, and it is a rabbit hole that I go down probably every other night. Um, And I do feel like I'm generally wasting time when I'm on there, although I have some awesome recipes for cauliflower pizza, which I, by the way, will never make. Um, It just seems like the thing that's on Pinterest. Um, But at any rate, I'm really glad that we have more of a purpose here now because we have a Pinterest board for College Coach. Um, If you're looking for us, search at it's at College Coach BH. So at College Coach BH. I would love it if that was my initials, Beth Heaton, but it's not for me. It's for Bright Horizons, which is our parent company. Um, so if you put in at College Coach BH, you're going to go right to us. Also, don't forget, you want to sign up for free downloads of the show on iTunes. And hey, by the way, while you're there, give us a rating. Um, we'd like to get more of those and hear more from you guys about what you're interested in. Um, the archives for our show are packed with all kinds of great information. So those are all on iTunes. They're also on the Voice America website. Um, Next week, we are introducing a new series. We're going to be interviewing students who are currently enrolled in college and talking to them about um, their college process and how they came to choose the school where they're at. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. We work with all kinds of super 
cool kids, and we have two of them on the show next week. Um, We're also going to be doing a monthly segment where we're going to answer listener questions. We seem to do those every once in a while, and now we're going to make it a monthly segment. Um, We're going to do one monthly segment answering listener questions related to college finance, financial aid, all that good stuff, and another related to your admissions questions. So if you have some questions, you want to email us, gettingin.voiceamerica.com at gmail.com. So it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And as a reminder, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.